We're going to be in Genesis 32. Uh, let me open by asking this question. What is God like? If you're to give an analogy or an illustration, what is God like? And if you say Jesus, that is the right answer. In fact, any question in church that's asked, you can always just say Jesus. And even if it's not the right answer, the pastor has to make it sound like it was the right answer. It's just required. So yes, okay, Jesus, totally. But let's think about maybe other ways. Maybe in Genesis, you've got this, and I've repeated it enough, that God is good and generous. I believe that Genesis, written to slaves freed from Pharaoh, was to tell them about the nature of God, that they could trust God because he's good and generous. That, that's what it's trying to get them to see. Um, I heard this one, that God is like Wi-Fi. He's invisible, but he connects you to everything you need, which I guess is amazon.com. So God's Jeff Bezos, I suppose. This one though took the cake for cheesy. It's so cheesy, it's good. Listen to this. God's like a computer. He will enter your life scan your problems, download solutions, delete worries, and then save you. <laughs> Tillamook cheese right there, man. So good. <laughs> it makes me feel like itchy even saying it. Like, ugh. Here's mine. I think God is like a wrestler. Not Olympic freestyle wrestling. WWF. Hulk Hogan, rip your shirt off, professional wrestling. If you think I'm a blasphemer, Genesis 32, okay? So let me catch you up if you're new or if you've forgotten the big story we're talking about in Genesis. In chapters one through 11, here's what happens. God has this great plan. Mankind ruins it. When mankind ruins it, he ruins himself. So Cain kills Abel. Lamech kills a man, wants to kill 77 more men. You've got the flood. You've got Tower of Babel. You've got Noah getting drunk and waking up in his tent naked, right? It's just story after story of mankind just was broken. And here's the result of his brokenness. So in Genesis chapter 12, it's, it starts a whole new section where God grabs this guy named Abraham. Abraham is not spectacular in and of himself, as we saw. He lies about his wife. He does some bad things. But God grabs him and says, I'm going to reclaim humanity through your descendants. That Abraham, you're going to have kids. And each kid, there's going to be a line that goes through your descendants that weaves down to an ultimate blessing that all the families of earth will enjoy. Right? So Isaac is born, son of promise. And it's Isaac that the promise goes through, not Ishmael. Then Isaac, he has some kids twins, Jacob and Esau. And before these boys are born, there's a prophecy about them. And the prophecy says this, the older will serve the younger. And I think Jacob, the younger of the twins, hears that prophecy and it actually begins to shape the way that he lives his life, where he tries to seize that prophecy and make it come to pass on his own right? And these twins, while they're twins, they're not identical. Esau would be like an MMA fighter. He's tough. 
He's outdoor man. He kills things. He eats them. Uh, he's hairy. He's like an MMA fighter. Jacob, though, is like a video gamer. He's in the tent with his PS4, playing video games, doesn't go outside, sun hurts his eyes. He's inside all the time. I call those people idiots. So you've got MMA fighter and gamer. But Jacob, man, he is wily. And so two times he manages to wrestle out of Esau the birthright with a bowl of soup and the blessing by dressing up like Esau and deceiving his dad and lying to him five times. Well, when Esau, the MMA fighter, hears what Jacob has done to him, he says, I'm gonna kill you. And when an MMA fighter says he's gonna kill you and you're a video gamer, you just believe it. So Jacob gathers up his stuff, gets his PS4 together, and he moves to his uncle Laban's house. He just gets out of there. Well, uncle Laban, he finds a guy who is a better schemer than him. Lies, deceit, just, he's like, he's met his match. So he faces 20 years with Laban, tooled all over the place. Bad, 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 bad. Worse family drama, just, it just gets worse. Finally, God says, okay, you've had enough of Laban. You've learned your lesson. Leave, go home. So now Jacob gathers up all his, his stuff, gets them all together, and he starts to head across the desert with his 11 sons, his daughter, his wives, his flocks. And while he's going across the desert, he can only think of one thing. Guess who's still back at home? My MMA fighting brother Esau, for the last time I talked to him, said he was gonna kill me. Now, does 20 years cure those kind of pains and wounds? No way. No way. I'll give you an example from my life. When I was a sophomore in high school, uh, I hit my growth late. So as a sophomore, I was like 5'3", 98 pounds. I wrestled, I didn't have to drop weight. People were like, yeah, did you drop weight? No, nah, I'm, I'm, I'm wrestling, I weigh 98 pounds. So there was this senior who wasn't a lot bigger than me. He was like maybe 5'5", five, five or something, 140. He wasn't a lot bigger than me, but for some reason he has an issue with me. And there was this day, I wasn't even looking at him. He'd kind of like start an altercation with him. And I'm like, dude, whatever, you know, be quiet, whatever. Just probably being a punk. But I wasn't looking. I was literally looking this direction. He's over here. He sucker punched me right in the chin, knocked me unconscious. Like I woke up, I was on the ground. I'm like, ah, that hurt, right? So time goes by, he graduates. I had a growth spurt. I grow up. I go to college. I really got into working out in college for a period of time. And I gained some weight. I was like pretty close to 180, but really muscled. I was, I was actually big. I know it's hard to see, believe that now, but I got big. So I had come home and I was in really good shape. I came home and I see him and he's still 5'5", 140. And I'm 5'11", and a quarter inch, 180. And I remember there's something that welled up in me where I was like, oh, Oh, I just want to sucker punch you, right? Even talking about it right now, there's a little something in me that's like, where's he at? I'm going to go on a mission. I'll share Jesus with him after I punch him, but I will show Jesus, right? There's, that's, that's the wound. How many years is that? Right? I was 15 years old. I'm 45. That's 30 years. I can still feel it in me. So Jacob knows this. There's a problem waiting in the promised land. It's called Esau. There's a big problem. So he's starting to head back over there. Here's the news he gets. It's verse six, Genesis 32. And messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau 
and he is coming to meet you with 400 men. Ah! Right? Can you imagine Jacob? So it says this, Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. This is the worst news he could imagine. However bad he thought it was going to be, the news of Esau, MMA fighter brother coming with 400 men was worse. He's like, oh my goodness. This is worse than I ever imagined. This is Arnold Schwarzenegger facing off with Justin Bieber. You just would close your eyes. Oh, I don't even want to look at this, right? Just brutal. So he tries to scheme his way out. We'll see that on Wednesday night. He tries, he sends 550 animals in these waves, five waves out to his brother. Just trying to say, hey, I'm trying to buy you off. Please don't kill me. Take all these animals instead, right? He's doing everything possible. So here's where we pick up our story. Look at verse 22. The same night, he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, his 11 children, literally 11 sons. He has one daughter and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And verse 24, Jacob was left alone. So here he is all alone, the repercussions of 20 years in the past coming down upon him in a way that he never imagined it could. Like, I know I blew it back then, but this, a slaughter? Oh, ever been there? Or maybe some past sin you did or mistake or failure. And finally, after 20 years or 20 days or 20 months or 20 minutes, it's catching you. And you can't believe how devastating the repercussions are of that action you did years and years and years ago. Repercussions maybe in your marriage, repercussions in your children, repercussions in the newspaper. You know it's coming out. You know it's not gonna be pretty. Repercussions because of addiction or just bad things you did in the past and now they're coming to get you. And you're all alone and it's dark. And you're wondering, what will day look like? What's the next morning gonna look like when my brother with 400 men show up here? He's all alone. And so here's what happens, verse 24. And Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled him until the breaking of the day. What? Right? <laughs> We're so accustomed to this story that you, don't, you forget to say, what happened to him? Okay, I've gone hiking all the time on the PCT. I've never been like, woke up at midnight with a dude saying, let's wrestle. Come on, get out of your tent, let's wrestle. That'd be really weird. I'd run away from that, right? I mean, this is strange. Like what? He's all alone. Dude shows up. They wrestle all night long. This is weird. Whenever you see something weird in the Bible, your radar should go off. Something big's happening. Something big's happening here. Because what we find out is this one, I'll just call him the one, the one who wrestles with him is no ordinary person. It's God himself. God the son, the second person of the Trinity, pre-incarnate Jesus, right here wrestling with Jacob. So here's what happens. Verse 26, 25, excuse me. 
When the man saw, the one saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. This is why I say it's WWF, not Olympic freestyle wrestling. This is the event that transforms Jacob. This is his life hinges on this. It, it, it is the premium event in his life. And it's WWF, and here's the reason why. Did you know WWF, professional wrestling, is not real? I know. I know, it's sad. It's like the Tooth Fairy and Santa Claus. It's not real. They're faking it, okay? This one that wrestled with Jacob, they wrestle all night. I wrestled, I wrestled six minutes in high school. You wrestle for six, three two-minute rounds. After three two-minute rounds, I could barely pull myself off the mat. It was so exhausting. Can you imagine wrestling, not six minutes, six hours, all night long, they wrestle. And Jacob, he thinks he's mixing up with this dude. Come on, dude, all right. So the guy's like, okay, I'm done. No, you're not, man. You come back here. I'm gonna get you. And so what does the dude do? What does the, man, what does the one do? Tink. Hips out of socket. Do you know how much force it takes to get a hip out of socket? A hip gets out of socket when you're like up on a two-story roof and you fall off and you literally hit with your leg straight. That gets your hip out of socket. A hip gets out of socket when you get in an automobile accident and you are pressing as hard as you can on the brake with your knee locked and it just transfers that force from the head-on collision straight through your leg up to your hip and it gets it out of socket. It is a tremendous amount of force that gets a hip out of socket. How does the one get Jacob's hip out of socket? Big beam, smacks him with it. Now what does he do? Skadoosh. If you know that, you have kids. The mushy finger hold, right? Skadoosh. I know all of the kids' movies. It's there was a period in my life I watched so many dog movies, I prayed for Jesus to return so I didn't have to watch another one. Like, come home, man, right? As, oh, just, hey, dink. Jacob thought he was, he was mixing it up. He thought he was, hey, equals with this guy. Hey, I'm getting you. We've been here for six hours. And the one's like, hey, dude, let me go. No, <laughs> tink, hips out of socket. Could you imagine the terror in that moment in Jacob's mind? This one I've been wrestling with for six hours? Oh, oh, he's got power. Oh, right? He's been faking it all night long. Like me when I wrestle my four-year-old Myron, right? I, he gets on, oh, you got me, oh, okay, okay, okay. And when I'm done, I'm like, okay, dude, done, get off me, right? It's like that, okay, dude, we're done. Boom, you're done. Could you imagine the terror in Jacob's mind when he realizes this? So what does he do? Verse 26. And then he said, this one who just touched him, dislocated his hip, just boom. He says, now let me go. You know now who you're messing with. Now let me go. And what does Jacob say? I will not let you go unless you bless me. Whoa. This guy can annihilate you with a touch. He's telling you to let him go. And you're not going to, Jacob's not wrestling anymore. His hip's out of socket. I imagine this in my mind. He is on the ground and he's holding on to the one's leg. Just hold it like a kid does to you and you like drag him around the living room. He's doing that to the one being drugged to the grass and the dirt. And the one's like, dude, dude, let go of me, let go of me. And he's just holding his hip out of socket, being drugged through. And he's like, no, I won't let you go. 
not till you bless me. How crazy a story is that? Why is Jacob so tenacious here? Just, no, I won't let you go. Why is he so tenacious? We've never seen this in Jacob before. We've never seen this kind of, ugh, in him, this angst. Why? Here's what I think. I think it's because he had a family. Before he was a bachelor, and bachelors, they don't care. Now he's got 12 kids. And he's got Esau come with 400 men. And he, and he knows, unless something changes tonight, my family's doomed. And so he's tenacious. That'll happen to a man. There's a moment, I think, in a dad's life where all of a sudden it's just like, I, I can't live this way anymore. I can't do these things anymore. I'm a dad and people are depending on me. I can't live that way. And you become tenacious. It happened to me. When I grew up here in Southern Oregon, for some reason, my crew, we were into jumping off bridges. It was the thing to do in the late 80s and early 90s, I guess. So we jumped, swinging bridge on the Illinois, jump off it. Gold Hill Bridge, jump off it. Uh, the second bridge on the Smith River, 84 feet tall. I jumped off that one. In Vanuatu, jump out of these big trees. The natives were like, dude, you guys are crazy. I'm like, no, this is cool. This is what cool people do, right? So I, I thought that way until 2004, when I went to Zambia on a missions trip. I visited this orphanage called For Hearts and Souls. It's brilliant. They took in only AIDS babies. So babies that were really, one of them, the girl I fell in love with, just this little two-year-old they found in a garbage can, just discarded because she had AIDS. So just, oh, just beautiful. Just one of the most beautiful places I've been on earth. Uh, went there and we had an extra couple days. So we drove down to Victoria Falls, which is beautiful. I mean, it's incredible. And when I get there, there's this big sign when you walk in, it said this, uh, world's tallest bungee jump, 330 feet, 333 feet. Buy one, get the second one for half price. I'm like, well, that bargain, how can I not do that? I mean, come on, all right. So I signed up and, and you go and you get weighed and you're kind of in this little class, you watch this little video and, and I'm walking out and you're, you're walking out to this, this bridge that goes over the Zambezi River and you get out there and you kind of notice when you're walking out there like, I don't think this is OSHA approved. <laughs> I don't know who the safety committee was for this thing. You, there was literally a two by four that you walked out to jump off of. So you'd see the dude like, boing, boing. You're like, you're like that, that's, is that even, is that safe? So I'm like thinking, oh, no, what have I done here? But I had a safety program and it was this Swedish guy who was about 6'4", 240. So when we lined up, I said, hey bro, you can go first. <laughs> Seemed like the Christian thing to do as well as it protected me. I thought if he dies, I can pray for him, pray for his salvation. So he went in front of me and it guaranteed if it didn't break with him, it's not gonna break with me. So I get up there and I'm now bouncing out this little two by four and I get out there and I'm looking down 333 feet to the Zambezi River and guess what I saw down there? There's crocodiles down there. I'm like, hey, no one said crocodiles. Oh, don't worry, you know. And the reason why they weigh you is so that they can adjust the bungee to your weight so that you come really, really close to dipping your head in the water. I'm like, There's a crocodile down there. Oh, they're too slow. They won't be able to get you. That does not reassure me. So now I'm standing out there. I remember the only thing that came in my mind was this. Never had happened to me before. I have a wife and two kids. Like if, if a crocodile grabs my head, I have a wife and two kids. What am I doing? And I probably would have just bounced because your, your legs are tight. I probably would have bounced off that. But when you buy one, get one for a half price, they also give you a video. So there's literally a guy with a video camera on me right there and just filming me. I didn't want to bring home the video like, <laughs> yeah. Well, I almost jumped. Watch it. 
And then he asked me this, like, he's looking at me, he's asking me these questions, whatever. And they said this, do you have any final words? I went, what? No. <laughs> I actually said, I love you, Charity. And I jumped. I can't live that way anymore. That's what bachelors do, not married people. I think Jacob is tenacious here. He will not let go because it's not about him anymore. He's now drug his family into his past problems and he's got to figure out a way out. No, I'm not letting you go. You could destroy him with a touch. I realize that, but I will not let you go until you bless me. It's awesome. And I hope you've noticed this by now in Genesis. Genesis is a real story about what happened to God's people thousands of years ago. But it's also a mirror because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you can hold up Genesis and know this is how it works. And Jacob to me is one of those. He's a mirror for me. Because I think you see in his life very often what happens in the life of believers. And so there are two massive events where God shows up to Jacob. Bethel in Genesis 28 and Jabok in Genesis 32. And they are radically different events, right? At Bethel, perhaps you remember this, Genesis 28, Jacob is at the bottom of life. Broke, penniless, abandoned by his family, Someone wants to kill him, heading to his uncle Laban's house. He's gone to the bottom of his character, lies, deceit, everything. He's at the bottom. And he has this dream where the heavens open. And God comes down and actually stands beside him. And God says, really, I'm covenanting with you. You're the chosen one. I'm covenanting with you. I'm gonna make all these promises come true for you. It's awesome. And then when that happens, Jacob's response is fascinating. Because he says this, okay, fine, let's make a deal. Let me read it for you. It's Genesis chapter 28, verse 20. God's appeared, all this great stuff has happened. Then Jacob said this, made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then Yahweh shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I'll give a full tenth to you. God appears to him, promises all this stuff to him. And then Jacob says, okay, fine, God. You scratch my back and I'll scratch your back. You do these things for me and I'll come to church once or twice a week or a month or maybe a year, and every once in a while I'll give you some cash. That's really what he says. Like they're equals, like he can bargain with God, like he can deal with God, like they're equals, because Jacob has not faced the God that touches his hip and knocks it out of socket. He still thinks, hey, we're, kind of, we're, just, we're good, man, you and me, we're good. We're equals, we're the same kind. He hasn't faced the God of Jacob, or Jabok yet. And I think so often what happens is, People come to Jesus, usually because of a bad situation, marriage, kids. My kids are frustrating me. My kids are getting in trouble. My kids aren't doing what I want them to do. My marriage is a bummer. My marriage is this. My finances are a shamble. I'm depressed. 
whatever it is. We have this, this thing that's happened to us. We come to Bethel and then God appears to us and blesses us. And then we say to God, okay, fine. If I'm gonna serve you, if I'm gonna come to you, if I'm gonna go to church, then here's my list of demands. Because we too have not met the God of Jabbok yet. It's the God that stands beside us, the prodigal, the shepherd, the loving, the caring. And that's awesome. And we all need a Bethel. But Jacob, after that incident, he ends up just kind of going back down to the old same thing he did for years. He goes back, he lies, deceits, family problems, four wives, just, you just multiply it. It's a problem. He kind of slides back in. And what I've seen with people that, that make their list for God, eventually they get mad at God. God, you did not do this. So I'm out. I'm done. And they walk away. Because they think that they can bargain with God like equals, because they haven't met the God that touches a hip and dislocates it. And you can just compare the two stories. They're brilliant. Bethel versus Jabbok. Bethel is heavenly. Visions of heaven. Angels coming up and down. God standing beside him. Brilliant, beautiful. Jabbok is not heavenly. It's dirt. It's rocks. You ever wrestled somebody? Man, skin, six hours. Could you imagine the skin, knees, the blood, the hair, the biting? I don't know. Man, it was brutal. It's earthy. It's dirty. It's hard. It's, it's very different. Bethel was a new beginning. It's Jacob, here's a new launch for you. Here's a new beginning for you. In fact, the following verse in chapter 29 says this. Literally in the Hebrew, Jacob had a spring in his step. Ha! Ah, spring in his step. At Jabok, the next morning, did Jacob have a spring in his step? No, what did he have? A dislocated hip. He was limping. He could barely walk. Okay? Those things are actually set as bookends of those two stories to tell you how different they are. Spring in his step, couldn't even walk. Very, very different events. At Bethel, Jacob thought, I can bargain with this guy. I can make deals with him. I can tell him what I want and he's got to give it to me. At Jabok, Jacob does not do that. Jacob just falls down, grabs his leg and says, I'm not going to let you go till you bless me. I know you can annihilate me, but here's what I know. You are my only hope. Your blessing is my only hope. I'm not presenting to you a list of demands that you have to meet for me to be your servant. I am coming to you as the lesser needing your blessing because the greater always blesses the lesser. I just need you. That's it. I don't need anything else from you. I just need you. That your loving kindness is better than life. That's what Jabok did. Transformational. And here's what amazes me. Here's what amazes me. Verse, he gets a new name, right? We'll talk about that on Wednesday. It's as if the Jacob is dying. Jacob, what does that mean? Schemer, liar, cheater. In fact, the one actually asked Jacob what his name is. Hey, what's your name? Because someone else had asked him that same thing years before, 20 years before it was his dad. And back then Jacob lied. I'm Esau. I'm not Jacob. He had lied about who he was. Now he's honest. He just says, I'm Jacob. I'm a liar, I'm a deceiver, I'm a schemer, that's what I am. And then God says, no more, 
you're getting a new name. Israel, which actually literally means prevailer. Prevailer. It's a new, the old you is dying. There's a new you coming, the real you, who you're really supposed to be. But then what amazes me is this. Twice it says, you won. Jacob, you prevailed against God. Isn't that shocking? You have wrestled with God and with man and you have prevailed. You finally won. When you think about that story, it doesn't look like Jacob won, does it? God's walking away from the situation. Dude, you won. He's on the ground riding in pain with his hip out of location. And yet God looks at the situation and says, Jacob, you won. Why did Jacob win here? Because for his whole life, he'd been trying to wrestle from his dad or wrestle from his brother or wrestle from his mom or wrestle from Laban or wrestle from his wives or wrestle from his kids, something that they could not give him. And finally he realizes the only one that can give this to me is this one, this one that touched my hip, dislocated it. He's the only one that can give it to me. And that's when God says, he won, you won. I think believers need both a Bethel where Cod comes beside them and they need a Jabok where God wrestles with them. They need a Bethel where they realize he's my savior and they need a Jabok where they also realize he's my king and my Lord and I humbly submit to him. That we need both. And too often what happens is we're kind of in the middle of these two like Jacob for years and years and years. And we're wondering like, what happened to us? What happened to us? What happened to the Bethel time when things were awesome? What happened to us? And often it takes Esau with 400 men or a child that's out of control or a marriage that's on its rocks or a prognosis that you can't defeat. It often takes one of those things to get us to what the old people used to call the dark night of the soul, where like Jacob, you wrestle with God and you're actually transformed. We'll talk about this more on Wednesday. I want you to turn to one final text and I'll be quick because I think Jesus says the same thing. And it's in Matthew chapter 11. And I think you can see in this little text, it's a classic text. There's both a Bethel and a Jabbok. Verse 28, come to me, all who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Did you see the two in there? There are two different rests in this text. There's a given rest in verse 28. And there's a discovered rest in verse 29. The given rest is like when you first come to Jesus and you get off the hamster wheel of failure and sin and guilt and religious expectations. And finally you realize, I need Jesus. And there's this shalom that's given to you. It's awesome. But then life goes on. And you start to pick up some things and do some things and, and it's different. And then that rest that you had at Bethel is gone and there's family drama and issues and like Jacob. So then Jesus says, 
take my yoke upon you. This is a different one. This isn't given. You're doing something. You're taking his yoke. You're learning of him. And he says this, you will find, you'll discover a rest, not just a rest, a rest for your soul. The deepest part of you that's full of angst and ah, that part of you will get rest. It's when you yoke with him. You know what a yoke is? Two animals, usually oxen, are tied together by this piece of wood. And we kind of imagine like it's this beautiful thing. It's not. If you talk to people that yoke oxen together, which isn't very common anymore, when you yoke two oxen together, there'd actually be a wrestling match for a while to determine which was the alpha ox. So they'd be, they'd be struggling with each other. One would want to go that way, another one would want to go that way, until one of the ox established itself as, I'm the boss, you follow me. Jesus is saying, there might be a wrestling match for you to find this rest until you finally submit to my lordship and you finally submit because I'm the one that can touch your hip and dislocate it. I'm that one. I'm the God of Bethel, yes, that stands beside you. But I'm also the God of Jabbok, the greater than you. And there comes a point in a person's walk where they finally submit to the lordship and kingship of Jesus. And then when you do that, Jesus says, you'll find a rest for your soul, a different kind of rest, a Jabbok rest. So here's what I've found in my life. I lose the Bethel rest, sometimes because I do this. I start putting back on myself religion. And I mean that in the negative connotation. I start thinking that I need to be about all these things. And it stops being about Jesus now. It's what I call Jesus plus instead of Jesus period. And when I do Jesus plus, the peace that I had at Bethel the plus always destroys peace. And so there are times that I have to come back and I have to search my heart and wrestle through why am I doing what I'm doing? Jesus, forgive me for taking your death on the cross as insufficient. Forgive me for that. Other times, I think this can happen to me and to people. Um, I, I think that a great analogy of humanity is we're like a kite a kite that crashed and wrecked in Genesis 3. And then God comes to us, repairs us, ties us to his string, if you would, and then we're able to soar connected to him. We're able to do what we're supposed to do, live the way we're supposed to live, soar like eagles. But what can happen is as we're soaring, I think we can then say, you know what? I'm tired of this. I want my freedom. I want my autonomy. I don't want to be yoked to him this way. I don't want to do it that way. And we take out our own scissors and we cut the string that connects us to his hand. Now, is a kite with a cut string free? Yeah, for a little while. And then it crashes. And there's a crash and you end up in a jaybox where you say, I blew it. I'm coming back to you reconnect me, retie me to you again so I know what I'm supposed to be doing so I soar the way that I was designed to soar. And that's a jaybok. And often it happens through wrestling. So I don't know where you're at today. 
But I know for myself, I've had a Bethel, and I've actually had a number of J-Box where things have happened. My mom dying, my brother dying five months later. And I had this list of things. God, I'm doing all this stuff for you. How in the world did you have this happen to me? Are you kidding me? That's unfair. And I was angry. I had to wrestle. I had to wrestle with that yoke. I had to repent. There's times I've cut the string that connects me to the master and I've had to repent, reconnect me. I'd have had to go through J-Box and maybe you do too. So if that's you today, if you're thinking that's me, I'm in that in-between. I'm facing an Esau with 400 men or whatever it might be. Here's what the good news is. Jesus in Revelation chapter three says this, and he's speaking to a church. He's not speaking to unbelievers. He's speaking to a church. He says, I'm standing at the door of your heart and I'm knocking. If you'll open that door, I'll come in and I'll have a meal with you. I will satisfy that angst in you. I'll give you that rest that you need in your soul. Then I'll do that for you. It's that easy. He hasn't changed. We have. He hasn't left. We did. He didn't stop pulling on the string. We cut it. So we come back and say, don't just be my savior, be my king, be my Lord. And he'll do that for you. So when you take the elements today, maybe just take a moment and think about yourself. Have I been wrestling? Have I been pulling against his yoke, trying to go my own way? And do I need to today in humility, ask for forgiveness and follow my king's direction? Do I need to repent because because of sin and my own desires? I've cut the very string that connects me to him. And in repentance, say, Jesus, reconnect me to you. And the good news is this. Jesus says, I'll do that. I'll come back to you. I'll wrestle you back into my fold. I'll wrestle you back into the way that you were designed to be. So Jesus, this day, we are grateful for Bethel's, but we need J-Box. And I pray for your people here today. I pray for any who have strayed away. Been caught up in religiosity. Forgotten the gospel that is you, period. Not you plus. Cut the string that allows us to soar. I pray for any in here that have done that like I have. I pray that today would be the day that they hold on to you and they say, I won't let you go until you bless me. You're the source. Nothing else will do it. You're it, period. And I pray that you would come into their hearts afresh, into my heart afresh. You would sup with us 
and you would satisfy that angst in us that we would find rest to our very soul. Getting rid of lists that we demand of you. Bargaining that we've done with you and coming humbly before you as our King and as our Lord, yoking with you. So would you fill us and empower us and give us a rest to our soul. And I ask this in your name, amen.